turn to the book of Jude with me. We're going to take a look at two verses. We're going to start with these two verses, and hopefully we're going to end with these two verses. And in between, we're going to take a lap through the Bible. So hopefully you've got your Bible with you tonight. So while you're turning to Jude, we're going to look at verses 20 and 21 in a minute. But I have a question. So who in here, and this is a raising of the hand thing, so don't be scared. But uh, who in here is familiar with the game called Mercy? A few hands. Not as many as I expected. So the game Mercy, I actually Googled it because I, I remember playing as a kid. I had three brothers, you know, so we, we played it quite a bit. But I looked it up just to make sure because I couldn't remember if it was called Uncle or Mercy, and it's actually Mercy. Uncle would be a similar type of game and maybe a little different. But if, you, if, if you're not familiar with the game Mercy, you take two people and you lock hands and then from there, it's a game of strength, skill, endurance, and pain tolerance. And the whole idea is you're trying to twist, hurt, force the other person to cry out for mercy. And as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, I bet Brother Ron was a mean mercy player. I, 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 you know, his hands, when you shake his hands, I mean, his hands, or like Brother Levi, you know, those, although I know Brother Levi was scrawny until he went to, to, to uh, the military, so as a kid, he might not have been that good. But, uh, but anyhow, the, the point is, is that this game of mercy is you're trying to get somebody to the point where they're willing to concede, right, that they're crawling out to you for mercy to stop breaking your hand, right? Well, tonight, we're going to take a look at the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's not why we have to cry out to him. And so what we're going to do tonight is, is we're going to take a look at mercy tonight. We're going to look at the first mention in the Bible of the word mercy. You know, there's that uh, principle of studying the Bible where you go and you, you look at the first mention to see what it is. Surprisingly, it's not as early in the Bible as I actually thought it would be. Um, the concept of mercy is, is well in front of it, but the word mercy in our King James Bible doesn't show up for uh, several chapters, actually. So we're going to take a look at that, and we're going to take a look at um, why, why God even has to show mercy upon us, and then we're going to take a look at God's mercy as a whole. But if you would, I think everybody's got Jude. I've heard the pages quit rustling. If you're able and willing for the, for the honoring of God's word, if you'd stand with me, we're going to read two verses uh, out of the book of Jude. Now, um, if you've got more than one chapter, you might check your Bible, because there's only one, one chapter in the book of Jude. But Jude, verse 20 says, But ye, beloved, building up yourself on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourself in the love of God, notice, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And that's our title, The Mercy of Our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at His mercy tonight, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for uh, just uh, saving us, for coming to this earth and dying on the cross for us. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful that we get to live in a free country where we can openly meet and, and learn about you. Lord, I pray as we look at mercy tonight, Lord God, I pray that you would help us to, to truly grasp what mercy is and to grasp why we need your mercy. And Lord, I pray that uh, when we get all done, that we would uh, take time to examine ourselves and to see truly if we are uh, looking at your mercy and what you're doing within us. Lord, I ask all this in your name. Amen. You may be seated.
So I want to start out going back to, again, just thinking about what exactly is mercy, and then we'll, we'll move into the scriptures. But I looked up, I like to use um, Webster's 1828 Dictionary because the, the, the words in our King James Bible align with the meaning of, of what Webster has in there. And so I've, I printed off his description and we're gonna, or his definition, and I'll read that in a minute. But I looked up in the, the word mercy in the Bible, and the, the word mercy appears 276 times in the King James Bible. Now, that doesn't all necessarily mean they're all talking about God's mercy, but just the word mercy shows up. I also thought it was interesting, 41 times the Bible says this particular phrase, His mercy endureth forever. Talking about His being capital H, His, right? God's mercy endureth forever. And as we go through the study, I want you to remember that because, you know, we go, oh yeah, absolutely, His mercy is there forever. And it is for those of us that are saved. But there's times where His mercy actually stops. And we're going to take a look at that. We're going to see some of those scenarios where God's mercy is done, where He says, that's it, I'm, I'm, my mercy's over, and it's time for judgment. Um, the other thing is, as we get in and look at Webster's Dictionary, I like, when we think about mercy, I like to think about grace as well, because they kind of complement each other. So when we think about mercy, and we think about, go back to the, the, the game even, where you, you, you're asking somebody to stop, well, mercy is the withholding of something that you deserve. So, you know, if you go and challenge Brother Ron in a game of mercy... And when he crushes you and you cry out for mercy, you probably don't deserve it because you asked him to play the game. But if he shows you mercy, he will let up. So mercy is the withholding of something that you deserve. So like another example that we could think of if you've got kids or you've got children around you and you ask them to go clean your room, their room and you check on them later and they haven't cleaned their room, they deserve punishment, correct? I mean, that's justice. They were, parents told them to clean their room. They didn't do it. They deserve punishment. Mercy would be the withholding of that punishment. Even though they deserve it because they didn't do what they were told, you withholding it is showing them mercy. Make sense? Now, just to kind of com uh, yeah, compliment that, so grace is the bestowing of something that you don't deserve. So if you stop and think about it, carrying the analogy forward, so mercy is they were supposed to clean the room, they didn't do it. They deserve punishment. You withhold that punishment, showing them mercy. Now you say, would you like to go get some ice cream? Did they deserve ice cream? No. But because of your grace, you choose to give them ice cream even though they didn't deserve it. Even though they didn't do anything to earn it, they didn't do anything that, that warranted it. You chose to give it to them. That's grace. Now, tonight, we're not talking about grace. We're talking about mercy. We're talking about the withholding of something that was deserved. And again, if you look, uh, like the note, there's like nine different definitions of mercy. And we're going to take a look at some of them tonight. Um, and just again, like the game mercy, that's, God's not got us in a handlock saying, Give, 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 kind of mercy. No, that's not what God's doing. That's not the form of mercy that, that we're looking from, from God tonight. 
So as we look at the Webster's Dictionary, here's the definition. It says, mercy, that benevolence, mildness, or tenderness of heart which disposes a person. So in other words, it's that, it's that, it's that mildness that is, causes a person to do something. To overlook injuries, to treat an offender better than he deserves, the disposition that tempers justice and introduces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear punishment or inflict less than law or justice will warrant. Now, what does all that mean, right? I mean, that's, and, and we're going to break that down because, again, I, I think it's important that we understand mercy. So let's back up, and it says, so the tenderness of heart which causes a person to overlook injury. So now we think about injury. We're not necessarily saying, uh, oh, I broke my bone injury. It's that somebody did something to you that offended you or hurt you, or maybe they took advantage of you, or something that wasn't right towards you that would say, do they deserve to be forgiven? And you look at it, and you tenders for heart, and you say, I'm going to show you mercy. And you may not physically say it, but you're saying, I'm going to forgive you. My heart is allowing me to forgive you. I'm going to show you mercy in what you harmed me through. I'm going to show you forgiveness. I'm going to show you mercy and not, and not hold you accountable, essentially. Does that make sense? So that's one. It says, or to treat an offender better than he deserves. Kind of the same thing. Somebody offends you, offend, does something wrong to you, and maybe it warrants you to act a certain way, but you decide that you're going to be the bigger person and you're going to show them mercy and not show them. Uh, it's kind of like that, you know, the, the, the Old Testament saying, an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. Well, it's more about what Jesus says and says, turn the other cheek. Showing, you know, you, you, they deserved it. But no, you withhold it. You show them mercy. Uh, let's see. To forbear punishment or inflict less than the law or justice will warrant. So this one I was thinking about. So, you know, you stop and think about um, when the president goes out of office, what does he do? Gives a whole bunch of pardons out, right? The law says that they deserve something, but yet the president has the right to say, I'm going to show you mercy and pardon you from what you're wrongdoing. Right? Mercy. Or maybe a judge, you stand before a judge and you've racked up a whole bunch of speeding tickets and he should throw the book at you. And the judge says, even though you deserve to go to jail for a long time, I'm going to show you mercy and just give you community service. Justice says you should serve time. But for some reason, the, the judge decides to show you mercy and reduce your sentence. Law says that you could get this. But he reduces your sentence because he shows you mercy for whatever reason. Maybe it's because you got a smile on your face. Don't know. But it's showing you mercy. Now, the other one, and I'm not going to take time to go through all this, but the other thing, if you stop and think about mercy, and, I, and I, when I was looking, again, trying to come up with some great examples of mercy, there were all kinds of acts of mercy in battle. 
you stop and think about. There was one, and I, I, I didn't write down all the details, but there was one where there was a, basically a, two fighter planes, and they were a little older, and one flew up beside the other and kind of looked at him, and the guy in the other plane realized that he could have been shot down, but the enemy plane didn't shoot him down. He showed him mercy. Um, pastors told this story about Ira Sankey, that was the song leader for uh, Dwight Moody. Uh, he was leading music on a Christmas cruise somewhere, you know, down, a, down a, the Mississippi or whatever, and he was singing a particular song, and afterwards a gentleman came up to him and said, hey, were you ever in the Civil War? And were you on duty this one night, standing guard as a young man? He goes, why, yes, I was. He said, I had you in my sights, and you started singing. And he thought, you know, I'll let you finish. That's a great song. I remember that song. And he said, I, I sat there and watched you sing that song. And he goes, after that, I couldn't shoot you. He showed him mercy. He was the enemy. He showed him mercy. And there's a count time and time again where somebody could have, you know, killed somebody in war and battle, but he chose to show him mercy. Maybe they took him prisoners of war. Stop and think about all the prisoners of war. You could argue that that was mercy. Now, some of them might disagree with you, but they were still alive, right? They could have just killed them all. They showed them mercy in battle. So my point is, is that there's all these acts that lead to this word mercy. And there's one more thing that I like in this de 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 um, description. It says, that which come nearest to grace is this phenomenon. We talked about that. It says, it implies benevolence, tenderness, mildness, pity or compassion, and clemency. But notice this. It says, but exercised only towards offenders. So in other words, I can come up and I can show somebody pity, but if they didn't offend in anything, it's not mercy. You're just showing them pity. You can show kindness to somebody, but if they haven't offended you, it's not mercy. It's kindness, benevolence. You can give things to people, but it only becomes mercy is if what they've deserved, you're withholding. Now, that's mercy. So now, as we go to the Bible, so if you've got your Bible, um, we're going to go to Genesis, and we're going to go to Romans, so I would encourage you to keep a marker or a finger in both books, because we're going we're to bounce back and forth between the two as we walk through this road. So let's go to Genesis first, and I told you that the first occasion that the word mercy shows up is actually not until Genesis 19. Genesis 19, we see Abraham and Lot. Abraham, God has called out to this land of Canaan, to this place where he is uh, chosen to uh, give to Abraham's family down the road. God has, or Abraham, or Abram actually, has taken Lot, his nephew, with him. God has blessed them to the point where they've got so many possessions and so many herds that they've parted ways. And God had, or Abram had said to Lot, you choose which direction you want to go and I'll go the other way. And we know the story, Lot saw the well-watered plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Bible says that he pitched his tent that way. And then as we move through the story, there's a point where uh, several kings come in and, and 
capture Sodom and take the men. And Abraham gathers his men up and go after them and rescues them. And you got to, and I never had really thought about it too much, but you know, after that event is when Lot moves into Sodom. And you can imagine they tried to reward Abram, and he says, no, 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 I don't want any rewards because, he goes, I don't want anybody to think that my wealth came from you. I want it from God. And so Lot moves into Sodom, and Lot is now, you know, living in Sodom, and, and uh, he's a big man there, so quote-unquote quote, big man. And we see that God hears the cry, and I want to read out of 19, 1919. Well, I guess I'm going to back up a little bit. So God comes down to see what the evilness of Sodom. He tells Abraham that he's going to destroy, or he's going to go look and destroy Sodom. Abraham, of course, pleads and says all the way down, if you find ten righteous, will you destroy it? And God says, no, if there's ten righteous found there, I won't destroy it. Of course, we know the story. There was only four taken out, Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. And as Lot is taken out of the city, and if you stop and think about it, where was Lot living? In wickedness and in sin. Lot's testimony was such that his son-in-law, when he went to get his son-in-laws, his son-in-law said that he was his one that mocked. In other words, one that, that was like, what are you talking about, Lot? What do you mean we're going to church? We haven't ever gone to church would be an equivalent. And this is what Lot says in verse 19 of chapter 19. He says, Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy which thou hast showed me unto saving my life, and I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil take me. See, the angels had come and they've dragged Lot and his daughters and his wife out of the city. And Lot realizes the mercy that was shown upon him because why? What did he deserve? He deserved to die in Lot or in Sodom with the rest of them. But because of the mercy of the Lord, Lot and his daughters were saved. We know his wife looked back and turned a pillar of salt. This is the first account that we see of mercy. This is the first word in the Bible, mercy. Now, we got to go back and see why is the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ so important. Well, let's go further back in Genesis, or further to the beginning of Genesis in chapter 2. Stick your finger in verse 16, and I want to flip over to Romans, and I want to show you pastor, uh, pastor, a passage in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And this is where we're going to bounce back and forth between the two for a minute. So I want to show you a verse in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, may be familiar to some of you. I want you to notice this. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So the Bible tells us that we're all sinners because of one man. Well, who is that one man? Well, Genesis, right? Chapter 2. Look at verse um, 16. If you remember, God created the world. God created Adam. God created Eve. He put them in a garden to care for it. And in chapter 2, verse 16, we see God gives them one commandment. God gives them one thing that they can't do. They can do whatever else they want. This is the only command we see that they've been given. The Bible says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely. 
but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And what is death? Death is just separation. Yeah, my Sunday school class, you got it. Death is separation. Physical death is the separation of our body from our spirit. That's not what God's talking about here. He's talking about a, physical, a spiritual death, the separation of us from God. Because in the day that Adam and Eve sinned, they lost that fellowship with God. They had a separation. They didn't physically die that day. They spiritually died that way with a day with a separation from God. Now, if you flip over a page to 321, so three, no, three, six. The Bible says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And both of them, their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sinned. They lost that separation from God. Now, you know, that didn't mean that they totally lost communion with God. We could go look a little bit later and see that um, God still talked to them, but they lost that sweet fellowship that they had. They lost that in the garden uh, with them. And we know if we go back to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. God told you if you sin, if you eat of it, that day you're going to die. And the Bible we read in 521 that because of one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin, for that all have sinned. We were all born spiritually dead. We were all deservant of death, that second death. Now, we know that if we seek Christ, that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, right? But if we stop and think about this mercy for a minute, if you stop and think about mercy, so we just read that we're all sinners. We just read that because of what Adam and Eve did on the garden, they deserve death. We deserve death. We deserve that spiritual separation of God for all of eternity. But that's not why God created us. That's not what God wants for us. God wants us to have fellowship with him. So if, we're, if we go back to the withholding of something we deserve, what is that? Mercy. We all need mercy. And if we go back to Genesis and we look, the first account, in my opinion, of mercy is notice verse 15 of chapter 3. God says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. See, this is where God's pointing to the promise of Jesus. Because who's going to bruise the head of Satan? Jesus, the one that died on the cross for us. We see here the mercy of God preventing, creating, not even creating. He already created the plan. But here he's revealing to Adam and Eve the plan that he had for salvation for mankind. And if you look, even if you flip over, uh, well, right there, look at verse 20. It says, uh, was it 20? Nope. Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 25, it says, And Aber, or Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth, for God, she said, she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. See, the belief is, is that Eve thought that Seth was the one that God was talking about, about bruising the serpent's head. Because he said, you'll have a child. Bruise, your children are going to be in conflict with the serpent. 
think she thought Seth was the appointed one, but we know he wasn't. Jesus was the one. But we see here the mercy that God showed to Adam and Eve. Now, as we move through time, flip over to Genesis chapter 12. And we see God expanding his mercy on humankind. And we get to Abram. And we get to where God calls Abram out. And notice verse 12, chapter 2. Well, start verse 1. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and a land would I'll show thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee. And notice, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. See, God had a special blessing for Abraham. For Abram. He showed him mercy. He called him out. And we know that he set up the children of Israel as a peculiar people, as a special people for him. And if you flip over a few more chapters, to uh, well, flip over to Exodus 25, remember what God did? Remember after the children of Jacob went into the land of Egypt and they were there for 400 years and they became a great nation and God brought them out with Moses and led them into the wilderness and, and created that promise gave them the Ten Commandments and said, if you will be a peculiar people to me, I will be your God and I'll take care of you. And then remember, God gave Moses specific instructions for something. Remember the tabernacle and the tent. And remember what that one piece of furniture was. Look at verse 17. It says, and thou shalt make a, what? Mercy seat of pure gold, two cubits and a half. In verse 20. Let's see, 22, and there I will meet thee and will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubs, which are upon the ark of the covenant, of the things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. The children of Israel got to look forward to the promise of Jesus, but they had to see that blood shed. But the thing is, is as sinners, they deserved punishment. As sinners against God, they deserved to be punished. But yet God created this mercy seat, this seat where they could come and, and commune with God. They had the altar where they could sacrifice the animals for forgiveness of sins. Was that not all signs of God's mercy for them? I think so. And then, as we think about it expanding further, and again, it's all the same mercy, but just if we think about John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life? Was that not God's mercy upon all of us, that he sent his son Jesus to die for you and me? That was, uh, again, the act of God's mercy upon us, because we all deserve to die. We all deserve to go to hell and pay for our sins. But yet God chose that mercy on us. In Romans uh, 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation for everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is for all of us. It doesn't matter whether we're Jew or Gentile. God's mercy expands to all of us. And the other thing that I find very interesting, and it's still, I guess it amazes me, is the fact that, you know, God in his infinite knowledge knew that before the world was even created that mankind was going to sin. And if we were to look in 2 Timothy 1.9, and we really don't have time to turn there, 
but we would see that it says that it was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. The purpose and the plan of salvation was created before he began the world. He knew we were going to sin. Titus 1-2 says, In hope of eternal life which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. He promised eternal life before the world began. He knew Adam and Eve was going to sin in the garden. He knew we were going to be alive today. He knew that we were going to need redemption. He knew we were going to need mercy because of what we were going to do. He knew we were going to need it. And yet, before the world began, He created the plan, and He showed us mercy before He even made us. Isn't that amazing? 1 Peter 1, 18-20, I'd like to flip there and read this passage. 1 Peter 1, 18-20, and I didn't mark it, so you might be able to get there the same time I do. 1 Peter 1, 18-20, the Bible says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So it's telling us that we weren't redeemed by treasures. It wasn't our gold and our silver that redeemed us. It was only through the precious blood of Jesus Christ that we were redeemed who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. It says, God ordained it before he created the foundation of the world that we would be justified or could be justified through his shed blood. And it says, but was manifest in these last times for you. Peter was writing, hey, that promise that we were looking for, it was manifested in these times. That's Peter saying. Now in our time, we get to look back 2,000 years ago to what Jesus did on the cross for us, that mercy that he bestowed upon us back then, that he bestowed upon us before the world began. That was God's mercy for us. And you know, God's mercy, it extends. So you've got to stop and think about it for a minute. God's mercy is forever, right? And we stop and think about it, and you know, Brother Mike just did a thing on Jonah. And if we were going to go to back to the book of Jonah, where was Jonah sent? Nineveh. Why was he sent to Nineveh? Because of, no, of Nineveh's wickedness. God was going to destroy Nineveh. And he sent Jonah as one last cry to tell the people of their wickedness and of their sins because God was ready to give up on them. He was ready to pull a Sodom and Gomorrah on them. He was ready to reign hail, fire, and brimstone down and destroy them. And Jonah, he didn't like the Ninevites. They were a cruel and wicked people. That's why he ran. He didn't want to see them saved. He didn't want to see them repent. But if we were to look at, at chapter uh, 3, verse 4 through 10, we would see where the people listened to the message of Jonah. By the time he finally got there and started proclaiming the news that God was going to judge them for their wickedness, and the people said, wow, we didn't realize how wicked we were. We need to get right. And the people started crying out to God, and it went all the way up to the king. And the king says, we need to repent and put on sack, uh, ash and sackcloth. And the Bible says the Lord heard them, and he spared them. He showed them mercy. He withheld the punishment that they should have had. So we see that there's times where God's mercy is about ready to end but yet he's still willing to look. You know, uh, we read Jude 21. 
there's eternal life to those that put their faith and trust in Him. God's mercy can be forever, but God's not going to allow us or allow anybody to stay in wickedness for long periods of time. Think about Noah. I said Jonah earlier. Noah. Two stories. Think about Noah. Why did Noah have to build an ark? What was the world like before the flood? The Bible says that in, in Genesis 6, it says that they were, their thoughts were continually wicked. The world had gotten so wicked and so vile that the Bible says that God repented that he had made man. Fortunately for us, God found grace in the eyes of Noah. And he saved Noah and his family in the ark. But why did God destroy the earth? His mercy, he was done. His mercy on the world at that point in time was over. He no longer had mercy for him. It was time for judgment. And God mercifully saved Noah and his family. But his mercy on the rest of the world ran out. Sodom and Gomorrah, we've been talking about that. Why did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Because his mercy on that city was done. He, he was, they were so wicked that God said, that's it, my time for them is over. It's time for judgment. I've withheld my mercy on them long enough. I'm going to judge them. And the Bible tells us in Revelations 20, verse 11 through 15, it talks about the great white throne judgment. At that point in time, all of those that aren't saved, all those that haven't called upon Jesus, all those that haven't put their faith and trust in Him are going to have to stand before the great white throne and God's mercy is over. It's time for judgment. The Bible says the books are going to be opened and they're going to be judged out of those things that are recorded therein. And if their name's not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they're going to be cast in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever. And God's mercy is going to be withheld from them, not because of him, but because of them. There's a time where God's mercy stops. But for us who are saved, his mercy endureth forever. We have eternal life. Now, I want you to stop and think about yourself. Think, or think about yourself. Think about this for a minute. You know, um, God's mercy at some point is going to end. We didn't talk about it, but you know, the next thing that happens in the in the spiritual timeline is the rapture of the church. And you know, as Christians, we look forward to that. We look forward to the day that, that Jesus is going to come back and take his church to be forever with him. And we get to begin that time to spend forever with him. And that's going to be a glorious day. But stop and think about what happens on that day. The light of the world leaves. Are not we Christians the ones spreading the light of Christ? And as we look and think about that, the day that Christ raptures the church, what's going to happen to those that are left behind? The Bible teaches that they're going to, the people that are left behind that had the, the opportunity to hear about Christ, the Bible says that they're going to bring, that they're going to believe strong delusions. They're going to believe the lie of the devil. I mean, stop and think about it over the last 10 years. How many different movies and shows are there about missing, lost, planes vanishing, planes revanishing, um, the, um, the Avengers where 
half the people just disappeared. Why do you think that's all happening? Don't you think that's of the prince of the power of the air trying to get people ready to believe a lie? I mean, stop and think about it. When all the Christians are gone, the people that are left behind, how are they going to explain it? Ooh, aliens. Ooh, it's a temporal vortex. Ooh, it's a... They're going to believe a lie. They're not going to believe. There's, there's going to be some that believe. The Bible teaches that there's the 144,000 Jewish witnesses that are going to witness during this time, and there's going to be people that will get saved. But the Bible teaches that those that have believed or have the opportunity to hear, they're just going to believe the lie. They're going to believe that we were taken by aliens or whatever. I guess in a way we are. God is the... But no. But the thing of it is, when God raptures the church, His mercy is being withdrawn from what's left behind. Because stop and think about it. Every day that you're alive... And I'm assuming that most everybody in here is Christians, that you've already taken advantage of the mercy of God and said, God, I'm willing to put my faith and trust in your shed blood, and I want to be your child, and I want to be with you for eternity and take advantage of that. But if not, God, let's, let's say there's somebody in here that hasn't done that. You're still alive. God is showing you mercy and the opportunity for you to still take advantage of what he has for you. I mean, stop and think about the uh, people in Sodom and Gomorrah. They had, they, Lot was there. Lot had the opportunity to tell them about Christ, about what was coming, about the Savior. They had the opportunity to hear about Abram and what his testimony was. But yet God says, you guys are so wicked, my mercy on you is done and I'm destroying you. You have no more opportunity. Because as you know, once we die, our opportunity for repentance is over. So if you're alive and have to ask Jesus Christ as your Savior, God is showing you mercy. He's withholding the punishment that you deserve, giving you another opportunity, another breath to put your faith and trust in Him. And if you're here tonight and you have asked Jesus Christ your Savior, then why has God left you here? God is leaving you here because he has something for you to do. He has somebody for you to witness to. He has somebody that you need to show mercy to and show them God's mercy and show them the light of Christ so that you can be that witness to him. Because again, stop and think about it. The day that God raptures the church, the light's gone. The opportunity for those people is slim to none at that point in time to receive Christ, at least as far as I'm concerned. You stop and thinking about America. Who, there's not very many people in America that haven't heard about Jesus. Now, there's some. I understand that. But we're a quote-unquote Christian nation. The accountability of the people in America is way greater than somebody in, say, a remote tribe in Africa that may not have ever heard. But stop and think about it. God's, it's really God's mercy that he hasn't raptured the church yet. Why hasn't he raptured the church? Is he wanting to give somebody else the opportunity to get saved? Is he waiting for you to witness to somebody? Maybe somebody at work or a neighbor? You know, God, as a, as a follower of him, he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You know, he's commissioned us to go out and to win the lost. He's chosen to use people to reach other people and the fact that he's left us here 
is again his illustration of his mercy that he's bestowing upon the people that are here that haven't received him and he's wanting to use you to go do that. Why is God leaving you here? Are you taking God up on mercy? Or are you just taking God's mercy for granted? That's my question. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much. Lord, it is sobering to think about the fact that uh, uh, your mercy is so gracious, it is so bountiful, and it is forever. But there is a time where if somebody hasn't accepted you as Lord and Savior, that your mercy will end. There's that time where you've, you've said that's enough, and you either allow them to die or your wrath comes down upon them. But yet, Lord, you've left us here for a reason, and we know that your mercy is still available to all those that are still alive. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to examine our lives and to see are we taking your mercy for granted? Are we doing your will as we live this life? Lord, I thank you again so much for the mercy that you bestow upon us each and every day. Your mercies are great. They're wonderful. They're long-lasting. Lord, we pray that you would find us faithful witnesses for you. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.